Isaiah says, woe to legislators that make laws that harm the widows and the orphans, basically. And so when we go to the state capitol, you know, it's not always to, to, to say woe, but it is if legislators are doing things that are actually harming families. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Cassandra Gould. Executive Director of Missouri Faith Voices. Cassandra spoke a few weeks ago at the Heartland Advocacy Conference that Warden Way co-sponsored with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, CBF Heartland, and ChurchNet. And she particularly talked about how people can become more engaged in advocacy at the state level. And so she's going to be talking about those issues, whether you're in Missouri or elsewhere, about issues that she thinks Christians should be engaging in and why it's important to advocate in the first place. So I'm glad to have Cassandra on the program. She's been doing a lot of really important work in this area. And there's some really important issues I think we need to be thinking about and talking about and advocating about. If you listen to episode 110 on the Beating Guns event, you briefly heard Cassandra that was co-sponsored by Missouri Faith Voices, ChurchNet, and it was held at Quinn Chapel AME Church in Jefferson City, Missouri, where Cassandra was pastor at the time. She's going to talk about a little bit of her new role since then in this interview. But here's my conversation with Cassandra Gould, of Missouri Faith Voices. All right, well, Cassandra, thanks for joining us on the program. Glad to be able to do it, Brian. Now, I would have you on the program anyways, but since it is called Baptist Fountain Adjective, I did want to note that you do have a, a bit of a Baptist background. I grew up in the Baptist church until I was age 18. About a month before my 18th birthday, I actually uh, joined the AME church, but... My family has deep Baptist roots, missionary Baptists, as many African Americans were in the Deep South. Well, we'll still claim you. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't, mind. Help I form, don't mind. Form you. That's right. We're going to talk a little bit about Missouri Faith Voices in a, in a moment, but for, for our listeners who aren't familiar with the AME denomination, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about? about oh, absolutely. Okay. The African Methodist Episcopal Church is actually, we often say it's the oldest black denomination, but reality is it's actually the oldest denomination to be founded on American soil. In about 1787, Richard Allen, Absalom Jones, who became a, a Episcopalian, they were worshiping in Philadelphia, and it's 1787 in America. <laughs> Richard Allen uh, had been enslaved and bought his freedom, but the worshipers of African descent were only allowed to be to kneel at the altar for a short amount of time. And as history records it, there were white worshipers that needed 
to kneel and pray. Certainly they were not praying together, although they were in the church together. They sat in the balcony, white parishioners sat in the main part of the sanctuary, and they were pulled up from prayer so that white parishioners could come and pray. And it is recorded that Richard Allen said, let me finish my prayer and I promise you I won't trouble you anymore. And so he and a cadre of other worshipers of African descent left, formed the Free African Society, and that later, uh, by 1793, became uh, the African Methodist Episcopal Church. He bought a blacksmith shop in Philadelphia, and it is the oldest piece of land that has been continuously owned by people of African descent in the country. Our, we call it our mother church, Mother Bethel sits on that land. I've had the privilege of preaching in that pulpit at least three times over the last few years. Richard Allen is buried in the bottom of the church. There's a museum there as well. Currently, the church, uh, the AME church is on five continents and in about 41 countries. So, yeah. Right now for this year, you are a minister without a pulpit. <laughs> for saying yes, Maryland. yes. I did want to note before we get to that, that you have been pastor of Quinn Chapel AME Church in Jefferson City for several years. and Yeah, nine right, years. Yeah, and I remember right, it's the oldest black... It is the oldest black institution of any kind in Jefferson City. Um, this year, Quinn Chapel will celebrate 170 years. So it's one of the oldest churches, but certainly the oldest black institution in the city. Well, let's talk about Missouri Faith Voices. That's yes. what I want to spend most of our time talking about. You are the executive director. Yes. So... Who is Missouri Faith Voices? Yes, Missouri Faith Voices. I like to call us a, a multiracial, multi-faith movement for racial equity and justice. We are nonpartisan, grassroots, nonprofit, and, and statewide. Um, Missouri Faith Voices started right here in Jefferson City approximately nine years ago. I'm really excited about 2021 because we'll get to like celebrate them, envisioning doing something really big and out of the box for our 10th anniversary. But it started, it grew out of an organization called uh, the Interreligious Roundtable, which was basically a, a, a gathering space. Ministers from all across the state would come and gather in Jefferson City because it's the place that policy is made. And those ministers believed that faith had something to say about whatever was going on in the state house. And as I understand it, they mostly initially gathered around healthcare issues. And so that morphed into uh, Missouri Faith Voices. We were incorporated in 2011, started here in Jefferson City, had some presence in Kansas City, and had uh, a chapter that grew out of Columbia, Springfield, most recently St. Louis, and so here we are, nine years later, when I started as the ED in June of 2015, I was the only part-time employee. I, I, I look back and over those couple of years, I'm not really sure uh, how actually the organization was able to sustain and certainly not how I was like organizing and EDing and doing and raising money so that we could, you know. Um, and pastoring. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah, there's that. I was pastoring the church, right? So I know that it was a call of God because that is the only way like all of those things would have been a would have been possible. And so now uh, we still have less than 10 employees, but the six or seven of us is a lot more than when it was just me part time. So 
I know you, you deal with a lot of issues, but I want to give you a chance to kind of talk about a few kind of key issues. And, and you mentioned healthcare and Medicaid expansion has probably been maybe the most issue that Missouri Faith Voices is most known for. Absolutely. For, for our listeners, we had on episode 109 a few weeks ago, W.T. Edmondson of the Medicaid 23 talking a bit about that issue. And this is an issue that you all are still advocating on six years later. And so I wonder if you could talk about why that issue has been so important. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, when the those ministers gathered, one of whom uh, most recently passed, Dr. Wallace Hartsfield Sr., which in Baptist circles is yeah, Metropolitan Baptist yeah, Church absolutely, in Kansas City. In Kansas yeah. City. Uh, one of our founding members, they gathered around health care. So I, I wasn't in the room nine years ago, but I do know that the concern was health care for all and making sure that people had access, uh, especially people who can't afford health care. And so when I came on, even as a board member, 2012-2013, we were talking about Medicaid expansion. We were going to the Capitol until we were turning blue, trying to convince lawmakers that every child, every person in our terms, every child of God deserved to have health care. And obviously they don't believe that because it didn't happen. So, I mean, you know, we tried all of the normal negotiations, the lobbying practices within our limits, you know, talking, playing nice on both sides of the aisle, begging, right? Appealing, trying to appeal to some sense of uh, morality that they might have. And most of it, honestly, particularly on one side of the aisle, just fell on deaf ears. 2014 comes and we're a part of a statewide ad hoc coalition, the Medicaid coalition, which was composed of grassroots organizations, some hospital administrators, all trying to figure out getting Medicaid to people who needed it most in this state. And for us, we didn't think it should be a political football, but it was, and it actually still is. And so, as you know, uh, your listeners, the ones that listen to your podcast with W.T. Edmonds and one of our board members, May of 2014, we took actually about a thousand people to the Capitol and we were singing and praying and praying and singing and the Senate decided to shut down and blamed it on us. And there were 23 clergy people, uh, most of whom were a part of Faith Voices, that were arrested. And that issue, we think that actually amplified the issue, didn't change anything in the legislative body here in the state of Missouri. But fast forward um, to last year, and we started having these coalition conversations about what it would take. And we understood that it would just basically be fruitless and futile to keep going to the state capitol asking them to do something that they had no interest in doing. And so uh, we came up with a ballot initiative in the state of Missouri, petition initiatives, which are under attack as well is the way to allow the people of the state to have a voice and to get things done. And so we're really excited this year, cautiously excited though, right? But excited that we have an opportunity to finally get, I I just recently was looking at the numbers, it's more than 215,000 Missourians that would benefit. And about 50,000 of them are parents with children. Which have been in the news a lot because Missouri has a lot of kids who are being kicked of off children. that shouldn't be. Absolutely. And we have a rate that's much higher than any other state. Any right other now. state. In, and, and so, yeah. You know, we keep being the, the, the top in egregious 
things, which is problematic, you know, from a faith standpoint. And so we've been feverishly collecting signatures in all of our chapters from St. Louis to here by next November, this November. It will get to the ballot and the citizens of Missouri voters will have an opportunity. And I pray that they will say yes. I pray that they will realize that even if it does not impact them directly, that all of their neighbors and especially poor innocent children deserve to have health care. Yeah, another issue that you're working on, as if that wasn't enough this year, is you're, you've also, I know you've been working a lot on the census. Yes. I wonder if you could talk about why, why I mean, because I know, you know it's one of those things that happens every 10 years, and, you know, but as a faith-based organization advocating, you are spending time on the census, and I, and I wonder if you could explain why that's important. Yeah, we're spending a great deal of time on the census. I'm a tri-chair in Cole County for the Complete Count Committee, and I thought that it was important to get involved personally and organizationally. It's a theological issue for me. As, as a Christian pastor, although we are multi-faith, but as a, 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 a Christian, we know that Christ was born in Bethlehem because of the census. They traveled back there to be counted in their home county. But it's also not that simple. The Bible also, in numbers, the first census, I believe, sets this precedent of not counting everybody. And so when you read in the book of Numbers, uh, and there are a couple of different uh, accounts of it, early in Numbers, maybe Numbers 13 or so, and uh, about the 26th chapter of Numbers, and it tells us about the men who were counted. And so the women weren't counted, the children weren't counted. Historically in this country, people of African descent have not been fully counted, not three, just in three the fifths, sense, three-fifths, right, the three-fifths compromise. So in certain communities, particularly black and other people of color, there's a lot of fear around the census. And it's well-founded fear, right? It's not mythological. These are descendants of people who have not been counted. They are uh, people like our immigrant siblings who there is this looming fear of citizenship questions, which are designed to make sure they're not counted. So part of our work is to actually help people to dismantle that theology and to know that as a child of God, whatever your faith tradition or even lack thereof, is that God sees you, we see you, that you are actually worthy of being counted. We are doing our own kind of census campaign, hashtag you count, just to actually help people understand like the, the fullness of their humanity. And I believe that filling out that form, going online, doing it on paper, making a phone call, or however it is done, is an act of resistance, especially for people who've historically been left out. I was fishing around online uh, on Ancestor.com, and I found my, my grandmother's census from 1920. And it really just like warmed my heart. But one of the things that I noticed is that my grandfather's name wasn't on there, and I know he was in the house. And I, it made me wonder about it, and I don't get to ask them now, but if he was like afraid to put his name there or what the situation was that he would not have had his name on there. And so that is our history and we don't get to unknow that, but I do believe that we get to write a new narrative. So I think it's the work of the church. We're basically doing all of our work this year under the banner of the church 
the census, the community, and the election. My work and the work of Faith Voices is at the intersection of faith and politics. The two things that people are told not to ever talk about in public, right? But most of our faith traditions have something to say. And certainly as a Christian pastor, our, our sacred, our, our holy text has a lot to say about our faith in the face of politics and politicians. So. We'll be right back with the rest of this interview. But first, I want to let you know about a couple of special offers from Word and Way magazine. You enjoy the podcast, but if you're not a subscriber to our award-winning monthly magazine, you really are still missing out. And I want to make it easier for you to try it. $9.95 for one year, that's 50% off. All you have to do is go to tinyurl.com slash wwoffer. That's tinyurl.com slash wwoffer and try out our monthly magazine and I think you're going to really enjoy it. And for those of you who are subscribers, thank you. If you would like to help some of your friends at your church also subscribe to Word and Way, we have an offer for you as well. We'll send a bundle of issues from one month that can be distributed for free at your church so that other people can check out Word and Way and see why they too should want to subscribe. And all you have to do is go to tinyurl.com slash wwbundle and we will send that free bundle to your church to be distributed. That's tinyurl.com slash wwbundle. Now here's the rest of our conversation. One of the issues, and you're already getting there, I wanted to ask you about was obviously a lot of these issues deal with racial justice. And that's, that's something that Missouri Faith Voices obviously focuses a lot on. And I wonder if you could kind of talk about maybe a couple other areas that besides the census were that. Yeah, right and now. so we are really, we, we understand that like the byproducts, the effects of white supremacy really being at the cornerstone of this country. I, 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 just to interrupt, I, I have to note your shirt. Which, yes. by the way, you're the second guest I've had that has had a shirt like this. Oh, wow. Uh, Aitzen Wright Riggins oh, wow. uh, last year had had a 1619 shirt. Okay. And you have a shirt that says 1619 in 2019, the yeah. 400th anniversary last yeah. year of the, the arrival of the first enslaved Africans into yes. the American colonies. Yes. And so, you know, I mean, I think that's very foundational, this idea of understanding the, the, the history and telling that history accurately. And I yes. just... I just and I got this shirt from a, a priest at a, a Presbyterian church a few weeks ago in St. Louis and they'd done this big thing around the 400th anniversary and I told my colleague who invited me to preach I was like I need one of your shirts because I saw his people in these shirts previously I, was like, I need a shirt and so I've actually worn it in a couple of places across the country and I do think it's important like we don't we shouldn't just no pun intended, like whitewash the history um, in this turbulent political climate. You know, I, I hear people say, oh, that's just so un-American. But our reality is most of the things that we're saying is actually very American. And so our work at Missouri Faith Voices is really steeped in how, what does faith say about white supremacy? We believe that the idolization of of uh, white males in the way that it has been larded over pretty much every other class of people is 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 equivalent to making an idol in the wilderness. And so theologically and practically, we're trying to dismantle that. And so our work ends up looking at all of the kinds of disparities, whether it's economic disparities, you know, housing disparities, which is also rooted in economics, 
economics, educational disparity. At the core of all of those things is racial inequity. Racial inequity is a byproduct of white supremacy. And so we're really just trying to pull the tree up by its roots. And it's really hard work. We, did, we didn't just get here. It's a big it, old tree. It's these 400 years. And so it is. it might take another 400 years. But we believe that we do our part by actually like naming it like head on and giving people the tools to actually talk about race. This year, in addition to the work at the intersection of faith and politics, we'll be doing more anti-racism trainings and those kinds of things to give uh, people tools. I realized that we, we did a lot of that in uh, the year after Ferguson, but have not really followed up well on that. And so we really want to give people the tools to actually have their own conversations and to talk. And I do think the work of the churches, I'd really like to see, even in Jefferson City, more collaboration across races with our churches. And not just, you know, oh, we had a joint service, but how we actually uh, tackle the issue with race. I was your, the Angela Project, the, the service that I got to participate in with you all. When I've talked about it across the country, not my participation, but the way in which First Baptist Church actually named the, the, the crime <laughs> of um, having pastors that were those who enslaved my ancestors. I thought it was very courageous. And I think we need to do more of that, particularly local churches, and when I say local, wherever people are, actually examining and owning their own history. There's grave disparities in economics. You know, often um, African-American churches are in old buildings many times that they bought from white congregations. They are not able to maintain the, the buildings. They don't have endowments that came from enslaving folk. And so there's just a lot, there's a lot of work to be done in the body of Christ, but across faith traditions, period. And so our work is really like really led by that. Where are the spaces and places in our local communities across the state and even the nation that people are actually suffering because of racial inequities? And what are the issues that crop up beyond that? Um, another really big issue for us is predatory lending. Um, that was going to be my fourth issue I was going to ask you about, so let's yes, go there. Yeah. And so my background being finance, that one is one that's, I shouldn't say near and dear to me, but I am just so committed to that. I found uh, working in St. Louis, living in St. Louis, there were a bunch of middle class clients that I'd had. You know, they, they may have been blue collar, like they worked at car plants. They worked for then TWA. The car plant started to close. There were a bunch of murders. I've worked for like Fortune 500 finance companies, and most of them are not around anymore because AG Edwards became something else, and now it's Wells Fargo. Equitable was bought out by AXA, a, a European company. Even in St. Louis, I mean, Anheuser-Busch is not an American-owned company anymore. It went from being owned by this local family to, I mean, it still has the name, but it is not the company that we knew. So people lost a lot of jobs. And... I saw people who had really solid middle class and in some case upper middle class lives and you have a lifestyle that goes with that, right? Uh, it matches your house, it matches your children's education and the money you spend on those things. And then when those jobs were gone, the rugs were snatched from under them. And I saw people and I didn't know what, I'm like, what are these transactions? And people you know, would call and they said, oh my, 
my bank account is overdrawn. I had this lender debit my account 20 times. I'm like, what kind of lender would debit your account 20 times? And I'm like, well, what's the name of the bank? And they're like, well, I don't know. And it's, you know, and I start, it's quick cashes, ace cashes, all of these little names. And then I start watching for the little blinking lights and recognize that they were really preying on the most vulnerable people. They're neighborhoods that you'll never find them in. And it's not just about need, it is really about where they target people and how they prey upon people. It's been a really big issue in, Amer in, in, in America and in Missouri. Missouri has, we removed usury laws. Usury law used to say that your highest loan rate would be 28%, which for you and I and your listeners, you're like, I, I don't want that, keep it. I wouldn't take that loan. I don't want that yeah. loan, right. But for people who are in deep need, we we at least needed that ceiling. So now people can have loans of 1,900%. And that's Missouri, which is the worst state. It is, absolutely. Yeah. Again, we show up on you know on the egregious scale. We're always at the top of the egregious scale, and so that has been an issue that we fought long and hard. Again, trying to get it passed in the legislative body. I was hoping that we'd get a ballot initiative on that this year, but there were so many other things at stake. But there is a national bill, HR fifty fifty. It is the Veteran and Consumers Family Act. And it is designed to put a rate cap 36% nationally. Military families already have it. And so we believe that every family in America actually should have access to that. So we're also fighting to get that passed, to move some Missouri lawmakers who, you know, get to make laws in D.C. up toward making that a reality. So we haven't given up on that. We have some ordinances that have been passed. We helped with an ordinance in St. Louis. We're doing everything we can in Springfield, Missouri right now to get the city hall and the mayor and the council people on board. Springfield has the fastest growing number of people in poverty in the state of Missouri. And many of those people are preyed upon by payday lenders. So also one of our issues. And I know there are many other issues, even though that sounds like plenty to keep you busy. I want to know this episode will be coming out on March 3rd. Okay. which is your lobby day. And it so while people day. are yes, listening yes, to this, yes. and they're listening to the day comes out, you're going to be at the Capitol. There's going to be other people from Missouri Faith Voices. I wonder, I wonder if you just talk about you know, why, why are you encouraging people to get involved in advocacy, not just the lobby day, but just other types of advocacy. Yeah. Why is it something that, that Christians, and as well as people from other faiths, but why is it something that Christians should be engaging in? I believe so from a Christian standpoint. You know, we just started our, our Lenten season on yesterday. We do this long, for, really 46-day trek to the cross. We, I think we have to be reminded of why Jesus hung on that cross. Like, I think we reduce it to, oh, God, you know, God came down as God's self to sacrifice God's life on behalf of us. Yes, but what was the process? The process was actually challenging the political regime of the day. The process was actually calling then Caesar into account. Isaiah says, woe to legislators that make laws that harm the widows and the orphans, basically. And so when we go to the state capitol, you know, it's not always to, to, to say woe, but it is if legislators are doing things that are actually harming families in the state of Missouri. 
We believe that there is a responsibility and an accountability in the Methodist tradition, particularly in the African Methodist tradition. Uh, every Sunday, we do the summary of the Decalogue. Love your God, you know, put no other God before God. And the second one is love your neighbor as you love yourself. And like our neighbor is not just the people that live next door, but it is the immigrants that our leaders actually accompany on ICE visits in mid-Missouri and in Springfield. It is poor people amongst us, it's people in Jefferson City who still don't have housing after the tornado and are not sure how they're going to get the resources or if there will be enough affordable housing. And so we believe that particularly as Christians, because that's your audience, that we also have this God-given responsibility. And if you carefully examine that, that, that book that we all love, even if it's just sitting on your coffee table and you're not looking at it often, if you carefully examine it, in the Old Testament, it went well with the kings who took care of the widows and the orphans. That meant that there were policies that allowed people who were most vulnerable to eat, policies that assured that they slept in an adequate tent at night. And in the New Testament, we have Jesus actually confronting those that actually would make policies that would leave some of God's children out. We have a really simple theory of change. It's basically that all of God's children deserve a chance at everything that everybody else has a chance at in simplest terms. And so as Christians, we get that chance at the ballot box. We get that chance by actually holding representatives accountable after we send them to represent us, whether it's at city council, at the school board, state legislator, or in DC. We just don't vote as a civic activity. I believe even our vote is, is like this moral contract um, that we are saying that we actually trust you to do well on behalf of widows and orphans. And so we believe that raising our voice is, is literally not just what Christ would do, but what Christ did. Got one more question for you, and uh, you know, you've been talking about a lot of heavy issues, a lot of issues where you've not found legislators who are responsive. So, where do you find hope? Where do you where do you recharge when you find yourself in advocacy climate where there's not success? Faith. I, I believe that, and I often tell our organizers this. So, you know, we don't make. I don't ask anybody. You know, you believe in God, what's your faith tradition to come work for us? But we are unapologetically faith-based organizers. It does not just mean that we go into faith communities, but that we are literally compelled by our faith and led by our faith. And it is also faith that actually I find a refuge in. It is being able, I am off this year from pastoring. And now it's, you know, I'm pastoring the public square, right? I have an official designation, which is called supernumerary in our tradition. And um, the, the beauty of this is I'm like, wow, I actually get to go and experience God in multiple spaces. As a senior pastor, you know, you're experiencing God in the place that you're actually writing the script as to how everybody else will experience God that Sunday. But not being in that space this year, you know, I and, and because we are multi-faith and, you know, as a Christian, most of the time I find myself in a Christian space on the weekend. But I, I started off the year at a, at a synagogue, I'm actually preaching, doing the Shabbat of the first year. 
at a synagogue and I felt God there. It was holy and it was right. I've you know been in the Presbyterian church the first Sunday of last month. I worshiped with my uh, Baptist brothers and sisters in East St. Louis and served communion in that tradition as well. And so it is in the presence of people of God it is in various sacred spaces that I actually, I, I am recharged, I am restored. We have made Fridays a Sabbath because we work really hard. And you know, there's every now and then that some partner has something, um, most of my staff and, and I tomorrow, but they'll be in like a four day thing this weekend. And I said, well, I can't do Sunday because Sunday is for me and God. And so it is being intentional about that it is going to the word and, and asking what what does God say about rest God says a lot about the widows and the orphans but God also says a lot about rest reminded of Jesus being in the boat and the he's asleep and the disciples are losing their mind because Jesus rested and so I try and also do that find myself in spaces last week I was at the Samuel DeWitt uh, Proctor conference Dr. Proctor was a Baptist preacher who was known for his prophetic voice. That conference is the 17th year of the conference and I've been at 12 of the last 13. And it is a refuge. It is a place where there are other weary, justice warring preachers come. And yes, there's some professional development, but it's also safe space for people just to be, for people you know, to take off the mask and to actually name what's making their souls weary. So. Well, thank you, Cassandra, so much for your time to be on the program, for the many ways that I've had an opportunity to work for various projects and for all the work that you're doing with Missouri Faith Voices. Appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate that, too. So I appreciate the opportunity. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. You can learn more about Missouri Faith Voices at MissouriFaithVoices.org. You can also hear a few earlier episodes of Baptist Without an Adjective that we mentioned in this particular conversation. There was episode 109 with W.T. Edmondson about the Medicaid 23. There was the episode of Eights and Wright Riggins, who also talked about 1619. That was back in episode 69. And then you can hear Cassandra in two different episodes. She was in episode 110, briefly, the Beating Guns event. And then she mentioned the Angela Project service that she spoke at. And that included First Baptist Church in Jefferson City, acknowledging its slaveholder past. And that was back in episode 87. As always, you can find us at wardenway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review to help more people to find the show. It really does help. You can find easy-to-share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it. And all you have to do while you're there at wordandway.org is hit the donate button. And whatever you give there will help support the production of this podcast as well as our website and monthly magazine. And speaking of that magazine, don't forget those special offers. You can try out one year of the magazine for 50% off, tinyurl.com slash wwoffer. Or you can order a free bundle of magazines of one issue to be passed out at your congregation at tinyurl.com slash wwbundle. If you have any comments or feedback about the program, please send them to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening.